Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast, episode number 250. It's a big one today, Sean. I'm very excited for it, and I'd love to welcome my guest, Sean Connolly, onto the podcast. How are you, mate? I'm doing well. Thanks for, thanks for having me, Dale. My pleasure. Now, uh, one of the, the things I love, uh, you know, about your career and everything you've done that in Australia, we play um, Australian rules football and we kick the ball oh, yeah. quite long and a lot of players that can, you know, give the ball a bit of a roost, um, mm-hmm. love to try out and go over and play NFL. Now you had a really decorated career as a punter in NFL. Um, when did this dream start, mate? Like it was it always, did you wake up one day and go, geez, I'm kicked the ball a long way. <laughs> how, how did this happen? <laughs> Yeah, it, it started at a re- really young age. Actually, um, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, a- as a kid, I, I watched in the U.S. here, I would watch Australian rules football. And I yeah. loved, you know, the part where, where, where they had kicked. And I didn't, I didn't quite know all the rules, but I, but I knew enough. And it was, I, I just loved watching it. But um, yeah, so at eight years old, um, I played different sports. I played soccer, football, basketball. But, um, but my father recognized that I had like a really strong leg. And so they had this contest here called... Um, punt, pass, and kick, where you get one shot to do each one as, you know, you punt as far as you can, you kick it as far as you can throw it. And, um, he entered me and I, I went up against a bunch of like kids that were older than me, but, um, uh, I ended up coming in third place. I just became just, uh, just obsessed with like the kicking for some reason. I just enjoyed like just, just like booting the ball as far as I could off a tee. <laughs> and then I just, uh, I just, I just stuck with it and, um, ended up doing it for almost, almost 20 years. Yeah, so and I, I think it's um, and that's one thing about you watch NFL. It's such a unique sport because you've all just got certain roles to play, and it's, it's right. probably like in an organization or a business that um, everybody does their part, and together it leads to it. So, um, did how was the training? I suppose different for you because you look at an NFL trainer, everyone's doing so many different things. It's sort of like not a team, but then they come together. Um, at a young age, you were obviously very good at kicking that ball. Did that like, consist of your training that you really just said, right, I'm going to be a punter. I'm going to focus on that and hone in on that. Yeah. Well, it, I, I played different positions, but there, it got to a certain point that I just realized that I wasn't big enough or fast enough to play other positions and that like, kicker was a position I, I, sh- I should, should just hone in on. So, um, yeah. So, so in, in high school, I just started, uh, like kicking, there was a field just a few blocks from my house. I'd go there every day and just, just, uh, just kick for hours, which ended up being like a great thing because I, I trained super, super hard. And I was, I was obsessed with training, um, that, I eventually did reach my goal and I, I made it to the NFL, but because I trained so much, I was, I was like a, a perfectionist of the trade. Um, I always tried to get better and better and better. Uh, my, my career ended prematurely when I was, when I was 25, I, I had worn out because I trained so much. Um, what, what I didn't find out till later that like part of training involves resting, uh, taking a break, um, uh, uh, some sort of mindfulness in it, but, it, but, 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 uh, I learned all this, uh, after the fact. <laughs> yeah. A little bit too late. I was, that's what I wanted to talk about because you watch, um, I don't know if you've watched the last dance, the documentary on the bulls. Um, and obviously oh, yeah. Bill Jackson in that, uh, everyone's watched it. Of course, yep. if you haven't, and you're listening, 
go and watch it. It's amazing. But he was so far advanced, you know, with his training yep. and around mindfulness and things. Did you come across anything of that, like in the, the three clubs that you played for in the NFL? Or was that was he just so far ahead of his time? Yeah, absolutely. He, he, he started it for sure. He, and then, you know, being with, with the, with the bulls and Michael Jordan, it, it definitely has taken off from there. Now I think it's become more as a tool for even um, off the field for mental health. And so it's, it's really evolving, evolving in a good way. Um, unfortunately for me, I had, it was right underneath my nose. My, my uh, girlfriend at the time who, who became uh, 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 my wife, um, she was into yoga um way she was way ahead of the time this was i played in the 90s she was already into it so while i was playing the nfl and i was suffering from back injuries um she tried to get me into yoga but i just didn't um i I didn't want anything to do with it because because for me especially at the time doing something like yoga or meditation is is opposite of 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 what a (laughs) professional football player does (laughs) so everything we did was hard um you know you know sweat um, uh, masculine. So something like yoga was considered like you, you, you wouldn't do that, but now, um, almost every NFL team has a yoga teacher, meditation teacher, and, you know, players now are, are still training hard, but now there's, there's a lot more balance that, that, that goes in, 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 into play. Yeah. So true. And so, so with that being said, with, you know, your career, and particularly as a kicker, like you've got one job to do, you may only come on the field a couple of times <laughs> for a game. How do you, you know, G yourself up to like, everyone's watching you. Everyone's watching your kick, your punt. Um, how do you stay in the zone? I suppose when, you know, you might be sitting down and freezing, like some of the conditions you play in, in America is like, wow, wouldn't even go out as a blizzard. Um, how do you G yourself up and just be able to switch on and, and perform when needed? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, for most kickers, and I was one of these, I, I really relied a lot on 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 visualization. Um, so what I would do is uh, like the night before the game and in, in my hotel room, I would start to go through my mind, like different uh, potential scenarios that would come up during the game. And I would start to envision myself like, you know, being successful and, you know, making the kick and so forth. And that I would also do that like during the game. So if our team was driving towards um, the end zone and a field goal be coming up and I'd start to practice in the net. I, w- I would do the same thing while I was kicking into the net. I would start to visualize that that way. When I got on the field, it was just, I, I just had to just, I just could just rely on my instincts and I'd be fine. Um, I, where I really got into visualization when I was in college, I played for the university of Pittsburgh and my, my coach there who coached the, like the kickers and the punters um, he was taught by his coach. Like when you, when you, when you review film of yourself after practice, that you should only spend about 5% of the time looking at your things that you need to correct and get better at. And then you should spend the other 95% of your film time watching film of yourself being really successful. So that really helped my career because it's so easy as a kicker, you know, you miss a kick or two, you can start to just focus on what you did wrong in those two kicks versus, Hey, I'm just going to go watch some film now of the, those other 18 kicks I made prior to that to kind of get that back into my system. So that helped me quite a bit whenever I would have misses, which were, were, were always inevitable. I think that's uh, it's a really good point there. And it's probably the same as, you know, the work you're doing now, you might get 99 amazing emails of the awesome stuff you're doing, but you'll get that one email right. from a negative person, a lemon sucker, I call them short, that just grinds your gears. And that's the one thing you focus on. It, it's really important. And a lot of people don't like watching all things they do well, but 
like you just said, it's really important, is it? Because then you that builds up that self-confidence, the belief, um, and it allows you to go out and perform like that. It's it's funny though, our mind doesn't focus on that. We we always revert to the negative. Is that is that something that a lot of coaches brought across? Because I that's I haven't heard much of that. You know, that make sure you spend most of the time focusing on what you do do well. I that I haven't heard that. No, no, it's actually rare. Uh, I was really lucky to, to, to have a coach like this. Um, his coach was um, uh, Paul Bear Bryant, who is the bear who coached for the University of Alabama. So he, he's the all-time winningest coach in college football. So this was back in the 60s. So he was ahead of his time with us because he said what they would do is after a, a game, a University of Alabama game, he'd bring them all into the video room and he'd show like five or 10 minutes, like, hey, we need to get better here. We need to get better there. But then after that, he said he would just show them a highlight reel of all the plays that they did well because he wanted to like, yeah, we need to get better here. But hey, like, look at all the things you did well. So it, it's just classic case of positive reading enforcement you're right like most coaches um still haven't haven't grasped that that concept it's still about hey we need to get better and we need to work on this work on this but you know for 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 especially for young athletes they can only take in so much so if they're constantly looking at like you know 20 different things that are that's in their sport that they need to get better they're really not going to get better you know michael jordan was really big about this he just talked about each time i i, I practice i just want to get one percent better and i i think a lot of this came from i it was actually from um phil jackson's book sacred hoops where he talked to michael jordan about that so he was michael jordan wasn't always tried trying to get amazing just in one practice he would just practice you know have fun and then maybe just work on a little part of his game so he even though he was a competitor and a perfectionist he wouldn't let that overtake his whole uh persona as, a, as an athlete mm, and and so true and the, uh, the one thing i really just took away from that show is fun do you know what i mean like so often i think everyone's too serious life is too serious it doesn't matter if you're playing sport working family wherever you are at the moment people need to lighten up and have some fun was that was that part of your daily routine or like you said you were so serious with your training that you mm-hmm. were over training hurting your back it was part of you know your team getting together, obviously you do your tape, you party kickers, you got your linebacks, everyone's doing their different thing. Were there any aspects of fun? And was that a focus? <laughs> like I know that's a weird yeah. question, but I think it's important. No, it's, it's a fantastic question because that was for, for me because a lot of people said, hey, wow, you played in the NFL. That must have been so fun. And then I always have to think about it for a while because it, it, it sounds fun thinking back now, but most of the time it was very stress-filled, you know, especially when I was in the NFL because – um, you know, there was a saying like, you're only as good as your last kick. So if I would go out there and I would miss a field goal, I could come back and like, you know, be cut and be released by that team. So e- even though, like, I-, I always tried to enjoy it and like be, be in the moment while I played, there was always that fear of like, if I screw up, I'm out. So th- th- there, there, there wasn't like, th- th- there, there wasn't really much time to like really, you know, sit back and, and, and smell the roses because it was just so, um, you know, unless you're like an established player like Tom Brady, I was more like mo- like 90% of the NFL players who were, who were, who were always day to day. I mean, I did have my fun part, especially like in college when I had more of like security, more job security. And I played for one year in the European football league. So I played for the Scottish Claymores and I had some job security, but in the NFL, I never really um, experienced any job security. So, so it really wasn't fun. Uh, now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, but that's funny. Like you mentioned that because it is a very ruthless business, isn't it? That um, they'll cut you, you're gone. Then then what do you do? Do you know what I mean? And that's, hey, that must, you know, really hit that anxiety button that, like you said, you don't get another chance. You get your kick and then you're done. You're sitting down. How did you deal with, 
like that anxiety because it's not a nice way to be like that fight or fight. You're, you're not comfortable. You don't feel your place. Like um, how did you deal with that? Because you weren't doing yoga, you weren't doing meditation then. Um, what was your coping mechanisms? Yeah. You know, I, I actually didn't really have any, you know, I, so it, it, for the most part, I didn't deal very well with, um, with setbacks. So I would get very high when my career was going well, but then when it wasn't, I would get, I would get really down. And then I was really down. Like when my career was like officially over and when it was, when I was with the New York jets and they told me my, my, my hip was in such bad shape, I could never play again. And so for me, like, like you mentioned the word identity, that was the biggest struggle I had because I was only 25 I'd start playing football when I was eight. So from eight to 25 for 17 years, like that's, that was like, like, that was my dream. That's who I, uh, you know, I envisioned, you know, I would be, and I would have this long career to play in, into my forties and into the NFL. And then, um, you know, it didn't end on my own terms. And this is what a lot of athletes struggle with. They it, it, rarely are they able to like, Oh, I'm going to retire this year. This is my last season and, and go out on top. Like most players, uh, they end because, you know, they're told like, this is it, like you're cut and they don't get another shot. So I, I struggled with that, like you said, cause I didn't have any sort of um, mindfulness techniques or anything like that. So I would just, you know, I would just get really down and then, and then hopefully get back up and, you know, but uh, uh, I think what would help get me through it is I was just always very um, determined to um, I, I never wanted to have any regrets during my, 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 my professional career. So I always told myself, keep playing, you know, even if things don't go your way, keep plugging at it until, you know, literally no NFL team will, will give you a shot again. So that's when my career ended, but I just, I was just always determined to make it. So even if I had setbacks, I just, I just kept going. Yeah. That's, that's a really good way of looking at it because I think a lot of people can probably relate to that right now, Sean, that um, over the pandemic, you know, people have lost their purpose. People have lost their job. They've, uh, they're in a situation they never thought they would be. Um, and it is hard to keep showing up and keep going. But um, right. yeah, I think just little hearing people like yourself mention that um, is really important because you would have dealt with so many setbacks and, and cut it when you get cut from your different sides and things like that. It, I can't imagine that would ever be nice. And then you're like, all right, where am I going now? Like, is that's just part of the life though, I'm guessing of an NFL player. Yeah. Yeah. For someone like me, who's like, you, you, like, I was like a, like a, like a journeyman. So I, I was cut by um, three NFL teams, but I also had tryouts like during the season, like if an NFL team needed a kicker, they'd, they'd call me up, I'd come in, I'd work out and then I'd hope they'd offer me a contract and they didn't. So I, I, I got a lot of rejection and, and what happened after a while is that at first it was very painful, but then it gets to a certain point where you just start to get used to it. Like where you just, it doesn't, even, doesn't even bother you. Like, okay, let's, let's hear how this team cuts me. Um, it, it, the, the NFL was really ruthless about it. They had this guy, um, every NFL team had something called the Turk and the Turk was usually a coach on the team who was like very low, um, you know, like a lower level coach. Um, you know, one of the lower paid coaches who, who has, hasn't worked his way up. Um, and they would just knock on your door and tell you like, Hey, come down and see the coach, bring your playbook. That's it. That's usually like the standard line. But um, it was crazy. Like there was players who would, um, they'd my one roommate hid underneath his bed. Um, so they had a hard time finding him one guy, like just see, like when he, like, cause they would come at a certain time, like usually like, like before or after lunch, after a practice, um, you know, one guy like locked himself in the bathroom. Um, so like, it, it, it was just like, like part of it, the whole thing. Like, so, so, so over, over time you get used to the whole rejection to the point where you just have to have to laugh about it. Oh, well, you, you, if you don't laugh, you probably cry, I'm guessing, mate. So I know we've just <laughs> spoken about, about the negatives there, Sean. Do you sit back and obviously they've got some moments you're really proud of about your career and what are some highlights? 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think for me, it was just, you know, like, like put myself out there in, um, uh, uh, you know, not worrying about re- getting rejected, you know, but, but the, the bigger challenge I had wasn't so much the NFL. It was, it was college. I, I started at a very small school. So in the U S we have division one, division two, division three, division three being the smallest. And I played division three, um, because I, 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 I wasn't very accurate. It wasn't very accurate kicker coming out of high school. Um, but then later I went to a university of Pittsburgh where I was a walk on, they already had five kids on scholarships there. Um, that was probably my proudest moment because I started off number six on the depth chart. And then I worked my way up as a, as a walk on a, a non-scholarship player. And, 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 and was, a, I was the starting kicker. I was named starting kicker right about 30 minutes before the first game. So that, that for me, I think was probably my proudest moment. Cause then, it, but, and I kind of figured after I accomplished that, that the NFL was something that, that I could definitely do at that point. But, um, uh, yeah, and I was just lucky to have a lot of support on the way. Like, like I mentioned, if it wasn't for that one coach I had, his name's Amos Jones, who really helped me with visualization. I, re- I really don't know. Cause as you mentioned, I had no mindfulness technique. I was just someone who just tried to just, to just crush the ball with like no discipline whatsoever. Um, so he really helped me, you know, get some, get some discipline out there. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that, mate. And it's, I think people forget uh, how ruthless the university system is there as well. Like that to actually get through that and, and beat, you know, players that had previously had school, well had scholarships. And so they'd been actively recruited. Um, you walk in and uh, it's very hard to even do that. So sort of what you're saying is there, you, the NFL was going to be a walk in the park once you'd already been able to achieve that sort of. Yeah, yeah, I felt that way. When I went to the University of Pittsburgh, they, um, as a walk-on, a non-scholarship player, when you go to practice for the first day, they don't even give you the gear. So all the other players on the team had all this fancy <laughs> you know, University of Pittsburgh blue and yellow shirts, and I had to wear whatever I felt like could come closest to that. So, so you know, I, I look like I just bought, you know, grabbed some stuff out of a, out of a trash can. And um, so, you know, because I was like such a uh, uh, an outsider, you know, well, you know, once I got through that whole process, you know, it, it certainly gave me a lot of confidence to keep going. Oh, well, I love that. And that's a, it's a good story of, you know, perseverance and that resilience to keep going and, and back yourself in. So obviously when New York jet said, you know, your hips cooked, your back's done, you've overtrained, should have, uh, done yoga when it was first introduced mm-hmm. to you. <laughs> um, but what happened like after your career, like I'm guessing, Oh, you, you would have felt a little bit lost, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but um, how did you navigate that to, you know, what, what you're doing now? Yeah, no, that was it. You know, when my career ended, you know, because I was still like, you know, really young for a football player, 25. Um, no, I was lost. Cause I, I never had a backup plan. You know, luckily I had my degree, but, but for me, I put so much weight into the NFL, you know, start from young age. I always thought like, you know, for me to be successful and be happy, I, I had to believe, be, you know, fulfill my dream as a football player. So I just, you know, I, I for a few years, I was, I, I really struggled with regret and like what next and, you know, what could fill, um, I thought I needed something to fill this, like, uh, uh, this like adrenaline cup of excitement. I thought, well, what's, what's going to make me excited about life other than, you know, being in a, a, a stadium full of fans and all that good stuff. But, you know, over time I, I got past that. And, you know, what, what did really help actually was, was, was my wife who introduced me to yoga and I started to do more yoga and, or started to do yoga and meditation. And it really helped me, um, you know, be more in the present moment and actually look at my career differently where I was more 
um, grateful for what I did versus like, you know, oh, this is the way I want it to be. This is how, how, it, how it should be. And, it, it, you know, I think one of the reasons why I did struggle with it so much, um, you know, the regret is I, um, I, I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was eight. So I, 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 I never, I don't say never, but I had a hard time, like, you know, being in the present moment because my mind was either racing forward or I was in a loop backwards. So, you know, I found that, you know, not only did yoga help me with the football career, but also helped me, gave me some like, like basic life skills to be, to be more mindful. And that's really what catapulted me to, to shift careers into teaching yoga and meditation, because it, it really helped me physically with my, my football injuries, but it also helped me with my mental and emotional challenges that I happened as had as well. So that's what really motivated me to now, like, you know, to, to share this in, in, in the hopes that this can help other people like who may have, you know, just like, you know, going through anything that, that, that may be with identity to anxiety, to, to, to depression, et cetera. Yeah. But I, I think also, you know, by you sharing your, your story and being vulnerable that it does allow other people. And I know society's changed from when you were playing in the nineties. Like, I think it's been so progressive with, you know, things that you need to do to be in the present moment and, and really embrace yourself and positive about yourself and self-love and things like that. But, um, I'd love that you just said that you have a different perspective of your career now from what you've been able to do and just being able to be present. Um, is that a really pleasing thing? Do you know what I mean? Like, are, are you probably more proud of what you achieved now than when you're actually doing it that you can reflect on it? Oh, yeah, yeah, abso- absolutely. I think, you know, the, the whole time I was in it that, you know, I was, I was always worried about like what was going to, what was going to happen next. And, um, never really had a chance to just, you know, appreciate what, what, what was happening there. And um, yeah. And I, I try to use that, 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 that experience now, like, you know, you, you know, what happens when, you know, what just, just, just any daily interactions, just try to be more grateful for like what I have now versus like what's next, what's next, what's next. But that really helped me, um, uh, uh, you know, just have that whole experience has made me shift, you know, the way I look at stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, so true. And I suppose the hardest thing is, how do you, when you're stuck, not stuck, but when you're in that mm. roller coaster ride from high school to university to NFL, it's really hard to have that perspective and sit back. Are you mm-hmm. working? Have you spoken to a lot of people and, and tried to give them some perspective on it? Like from what you've learned, because lessons are so important. And when you're stuck in that moment, actually having someone that's lived that journey, that story is really powerful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I do a lot of um, uh, uh, work with athletes and, you know, th- this, this question comes up now and, it, and it's different now because like uh, e- e- athletes now are now a lot more open about, about their mental health and, and how they, you know, and, and just like their, their general feelings, you know, you, you know, going back to um, um, Phil Jackson, when he, he brought in the mindfulness to his, um, to his players. It was more just about this will help you with your performance. Mm. This will help you focus, but it's now shifted, um, forward now. And it's more progressive. We're like, Hey, not only can this, you know, uh, some sort of mindfulness practice help you with your make free throws or whatever your sport is. This can also help you deal with what you encounter off the court. And they're really like, there's no way you can really separate those two anyways. Um, so, you know, now when I work with athletes, you know, it used to be, I would just teach them, you know, when I first started teaching to them, maybe 20 years ago, I'd teach a very physical practice or if the meditation was really basic and on the focus, but now it's crazy. They, they want, they want more, they want, you know, how will this help me, you know, with my relationships, even, you know, how, how this helped me like to communicate. So they're, they're a lot more open about it. So I think it's, um, it, it, it's, a, it's a lot, it's an easier sell, you could say, so to speak. 
Yeah, because it's not like you just said, it's not just sport, life, work, uni, whatever. It's not, they all go hand in hand and you can't just mm-hmm. be good in one area of your life and be really poor in other areas. Um, and do you feel that's a pleasing change in society that I, I see it as well, you know, that people are very open with how they're feeling. And I think it's such a powerful thing, particularly as two males talking about it now, mm-hmm. because I can imagine in the nineties in the NFL, there was none of that. Um, so now to see that it must no. be really nice to be able to, you know, break down those barriers and allow this, you know, growth to happen. Right. No, it's, it's, it's a great shift. And, um, a story when I played, um, with, with the Indianapolis Colts, um, I was having, um, this is like a physical injury, but it was beyond that. My, my hip was hurting, my back was hurting. And I was, uh, um, we're about three weeks in a training camp and we're practicing twice a day. And I felt like I needed a break. Um, you know, definitely a physical break, which was also giving me a mental break. And I, and I wasn't performing at the level I, I, that I needed to. And I wanted to go ask the coach if I could just have one session off. Like if I could just, you know, just, you know, just the, the, the rest or whatever. But, you know, at this time, like you just, you wouldn't ask a coach to, to like rest because you're considered, you're considered weak, you know, just like, you know, like, like, you know, back then, if you were to mention anything to your coach about having a mental health issue, you're considered weak. And of course I went to the coach and I, I asked for the, you know, for the time off. And he said, you know, you need to suck it up. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're a wuss. And like all the, you know, all the words came out from him exactly how I expected, but that was every coach you know, during this time in the nineties, that was the reaction that they would have given. But now luckily there's a lot more openness. And I think, I think the coaches too, even if they're not open to the understanding that the athletes need to, 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 to communicate more and, and to share how they're feeling is I think they're seeing if they don't do that, it actually is also going to affect their athletes, their team's performance on the field or on the court. If they're not allowing their athletes to have some sort of um, opportunity to, 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 to seek the help they need. Yeah, I, and I agree with that. And I think as coaches and you watch them, that it's not everybody's got different personalities, different traits, and they need different things. So yelling mm-hmm. and getting up and rah, like that doesn't work. Do you know what I mean? You need to nurture some players. Some people might need a little mm-hmm. rev up like that. Um, and I think that's been for, you know, it doesn't matter what sport you watch. You watch coaches now and the way they talk. It's none of this, you know, motivational stuff. It's actually nurturing. And I think that's mm-hmm. really lovely to see. No, no, absolutely. And I, I think if you were to see this 20 years ago, we'd be like, wow, this, these coaches are soft, but it's just, <laughs> yep. it's, 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 that's, 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 that's not the case. It's not like these athletes aren't working hard. It's, you know, there's, there, there's, there's, they're, they're people. And I, I think we're starting to see this more and more like, um, you know, what's, you know, what we're seeing, like with some of these Olympic athletes, like we, it's so easy to look at them as just like the, the these robots who are out there, who are these, like these perfect specimens, but like, you know, no, there's, 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 there's stuff happening in their heads as well. Yeah, so true. And, and, and like you see that, um, like with at like Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka, mm-hmm. you know, openly taking breaks. I think things like that is fantastic. Huge. Do you know what I mean? And, it's huge. Uh, yeah. And they still copped a lot of barrage, which I think is horrific. Huge. Like, yep. Yep. how can people sitting at home on an armchair actually understand what they're going through? Um, and I think they're leading the way and it'll come more and more prevalent and, and people's opinion of it. You, you can't have an opinion on somebody else's feelings or where they're at. Um, so yeah, I, I love that. So John, listening to this, mate, your story, you've got a book out, your podcast, where can we find you? 
What are uh, you yeah, doing? thanks for give yourself a plug, <laughs> mate. Let's go. <laughs> All right, I'll try. Yeah, my, my website is seanconley.net, S-E-A-N-C-O-N-L-E-Y.net. And then um what I'm what I'm doing right now is uh my wife and I own a yoga studio in Pittsburgh. We we do a lot of stuff online, meditation online. Um, yoga classes online. I also uh, recently wrote a book, um, The Point After How One Resilient Kicker Learned There's More to Life Than the NFL, um, which um, which can be found anywhere on my website. And also I, I started a, a podcast called The Happy Athlete, which is you know geared towards athletes, but also it just, it, it's just, uh, we talk a lot about meditation, mindfulness, and there's some meditations on there as well. But it's, uh, uh, yeah, I did that maybe back in September and still going as of today. So nice, <laughs> which I know nice, it's a lot yeah. of hard work. So I really appreciate what you do and respect what you do. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. But I think, um, I think, and I've spoke to other people about this, that you learn so much more actually doing mm. a podcast because you are actively listening. Uh, I don't know, have, mm-hmm. is that you, instead of like, if we're driving, running, walking, riding, whatever, listening to someone else talk, you're not taking it all in. Have you noticed that? Oh yeah. hundred percent. You know, like, like, um, that's, that's probably one of the things that I enjoy the most about, um, hosting the podcast is speaking to people. And, and while they're there, like I'm, you, you gotta be com- completely there the whole time. Yeah. And, um, I just, I just love asking questions and, and, you know, I, I, I have people on that, you know, that, 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 that that, that I'm genuinely interested in, in what they have to talk about. And that makes it so much easier. And then, and then I figure if I'm asking these questions, I'm super interested, um, genuinely interested in the people listening, hopefully the same, and they'll, they'll, they'll get something out of it as well. Yeah. So, so true. Now for listeners out there, this episode number 250, go to the show notes. I'll have links to Sean's website, his book, podcast, yoga studio, anything you can get there. But before I let you go, Sean, um, what was your, your longest punt? And remember, <laughs> I, you, you might need it. You might need a transfer to meters for me, mate, because feet, I, oh, I get a little bit confused. Wow. So I'm going to, not only am I going to make you brag about your longest punt, we're going to get you to do a bit of numeracy as well and convert the <laughs> metrics. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow oh i'll try you know yeah we're so we're so challenged here in our, our with our our feet and our yards um <laughs> my, my long my my longest in practice was 70 yards which is uh i, I don't know what that is to to meters um don't worry uh, mate. i might have i might, I might have to <laughs> if you're you're gonna do well, i'm gonna once i get off this call i'm gonna google that so 70, oh, 70 okay. well oh, oh so, well this to clarify because you're not gonna find that in google i, I did that in practice so 70 uh, in practice yeah 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 yeah. not in a game that would be an nfl record it, it, it was in practice one day there was a huge wind in my back and <laughs> it was it was an old football so like actually the um nfl footballs if, if you break them in really well they start to look like australian rules football where they start yeah, to blow up like pointy. a balloon yeah yep. that's what you want to kick like a ball really far so um yeah so kickers like we would do that we'd actually take game balls we put them into like a like a like a like a dryer a hot dryer um we, we would we'd scrub them down with brushes we would do all kinds of uh crazy things to get them to expand and be bigger but yeah and then and then in, in a game it was 49 i had a couple like long field goals that that i attempted they were blocked but yeah that 49 in a game 70 at practice so yeah, nice. I love that. I think it's really interesting uh, you mentioned that because a lot of people only see the NFL ball being thrown and it needs to be that really pointy thing so they throw it. But when you're kicking that, you want to hit right on that belly so you can get as much oh. purchase as possible, don't you? So making oh. it more like a you know an AFL ball is essential. Right. You want a balloon and, and, and you know the, the quarterbacks want it pointy and, and grippy and yeah, and the kickers and punters want it to be as big, <laughs> and, big and as soft as possible. So um, a, a key to being a good kicker in the NFL is having a really good ball boy because the ball boy, when it's the time the kicker punt, he'll make sure that your ball is on the field versus the quarterback's ball. 
So that's, ah. that's, you want to be really close to him. Yeah. I don't know if you remember the whole uh, uh, Tom Brady controversy with the, with the footballs deflate gate where they're yep. deflating the footballs. Yeah. So he wants the quarterbacks want some of the ball out so they can make a bigger grip. And then, ah. you know, again, the kickers punters want it bigger and softer. I didn't say, so. so I didn't know that. So essentially you've got a full different range of balls for different parts of the game. Is that, is that part of the, the game or is that, is that technically I've got my hand quotes going here, a good ball boy. Um, well, it's, it's a little bit of both the, 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 the refs try to regulate to a certain degree. Like they'll examine the balls before the game, both the, uh, the quarterback balls and, and, and the, the kicker balls, but they, there's enough things that you can do um, behind the scenes that can get your ball more, uh, what you want it to look like. Like, like for kickers, you don't want to see it. Like when it comes out of a bag, it has all these dimples on it. And it's really like, has all this, like, uh, like, like almost like a, like, like a, not like a plastic, but it has this like residue on it. You want all of that off and kickers are crazy about those. They'll, <laughs> they'll spend most NFL kickers will spend more time doctoring their footballs than they do practicing kicking before the, the week of a game. I don't want to say well, most, but some of them. <laughs> well, you can speak from experience. I, I just think that's fascinating. And it really does show in a sport where, you know, the, the like, as you said, your longest key train, the wind was such a deterrent, like the weather, the temperature, the ball, it makes such an impact. And when you get to, you know, the best of the best, they're the things right. you're focusing on. Like, it, but people don't actually realize just how much a tiny little change in that ball can make a difference. It's huge. Yeah. I, I, my career ended because not, not only just the injury, but because of the injury, I couldn't kick the ball as far as I used to, but it wasn't by like a significant amount. And I, I was, it, it was just a couple yards. I wasn't able to kick it as, as I, as I normally would. So instead of being able to kick the ball 70 yards, I was now maybe able to kick it 68 total, which would still put me like at a, like, like a, you know, high level for college football, but for the NFL, it, that was just enough where there's another guy who can do that slightly better than me and then and then i'm out and so that that's why I like the things with the footballs and so forth that's why players are so crazy about it because it's at that that level there's not much that separates you know players from kickers you know to uh to linemen you know uh wide receivers it's all the same thing it's just just a little thing so they're gonna all try to find that little teeny edge to like separate themselves yeah and it's such a game by numbers and statistics isn't it like i don't mm-hmm. know many other games in the world that is all about the numbers. And like, did you find, like, uh, did you find that's, it, it is a team's fault, but geez, it's an individual game within it. Oh, 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 huge. Yeah. It, and, and, and um, well, even like with the, with the quarterbacks now, like we're about to have the NFL draft over here and um, the, the, the quarterback for the, for a while with the school university of Pittsburgh, he, he has small hands. I, I think he has eight and a half inch hands. So the NFL, like they measure you. So you go to this thing that, and it's like a meat market and they measure every single part of your body and they interview you and they, they ask you like the craziest questions they want to get into your psyche. Cause they're going to, they're about to invest possibly millions of dollars into you. So this, this, this kid, um, uh, his name is Kenny Pickett. Like right now, some teams are, are not sure if they, they think he's good enough because he, his hands oh, aren't very big size of his hand. Now, meanwhile, when you watch him, he, the, the guy's a winner and he's put up all these stats, but like the NFL, like they, you know, like w- what's going to happen is or his hands can be too small because the NFL football is slightly bigger than the college football. So they're concerned about his hand. So it's just, there's just weird things like individually, like that players have to, um, you know, be challenged with. So it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy sport. Cause that's like, 
you can't go and you know go to the gym and make your hands bigger like that's <laughs> right like, you know like that's not something you could physically change so obviously no. obviously it doesn't affect him because he's mastered his craft and he's so good at it but it like isn't it funny that that they still think it's an issue even though he's proving them wrong right right well that's what the NFL will do like before they drafted they're looking for a reason to 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 not draft you so um yeah, they, they, they and that's what's it's strange about the NFL is like they they they're more they get caught up in that more than they do like just you know does this person have like this extra something like 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 what it takes and if you look at a lot of the players who do have really strong careers they're just like really balanced competitors you know there there's someone who just has a really strong head head in their game but they they don't seem to put too much weight in that when they're, when they're, when they're, when they're looking at players, they're looking more like, Oh, what are all his, you know, they, they call them measurables, you know, how high can he jump? High, which is super important to a certain degree, but what about like, what is, what is his work ethic? Like, you know, what is his attitude like, but there's, they, they weigh that so much smaller. until so they realize, Oh, this guy's a, you know, a head case and three years later, they get rid of him. They have to bring in someone else. So they always go for the, for what they think is like the home run, um, uh, uh, signee when, when there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of players out there who may not have the talent who, 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 who are um, overlooked because of that, because of those crazy measurables. Well, and I think like you just said that you can have, you can be a jump run, you can do it all really well, but if you're not right in the head, then it doesn't matter how big right. your hands are. Do you know what I mean? Like right. you're going right. to choke in the wrong time. And I think it really just comes back to the big takeaway I've had from Tate is focus on the things you do well and make sure you watch those and you're proud of them. Um, always want to improve but i think that's a really good point and a nice way to finish so hey thank you so much for yeah absolutely thank you it's a lot of fun yes i really appreciate it so guys if you are listening yeah. episode number 250 go and check it out reach out to sean and thank him for that buy his book listen to his podcast um thanks for your time to go mate yeah thank you dale appreciate it